Chapter Eighteen of Tenterhooks by Ada Leverson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Eighteen, A Contretemps. Edith did not know herself what had induced her to write that letter to Paris. Some gradual, obscure influence in an impulsive moment of weakness, a conventional dread of Paris for one's idol. Then what Vincy told her had convinced her Aylmer was unhappy. She thought that surely there might be some compromise, that matters could be adjusted. Couldn't they go on seeing each other just as friends? Surely both would be happier than separated. For, yes, there was no doubt she missed him and longed to see him. Is there any woman in the world on whom a sincere declaration from a charming, interesting person doesn't make an impression? and particularly if that person goes away practically the next day, leaving a blank. Edith had a high opinion of her own strength of will. When she appeared weak, it was on some subject about which she was indifferent. She took a great pride in her own self-poise, her self-control, which was neither coldness nor density. She had made up her mind to bear always with the little irritations Bruce caused her, to guide him in the right direction, keep her influence with him, in order to be able to arrange everything about the children just as she wished. The children were a deep and intense preoccupation. To say she adored them is insufficient. Archie she regarded almost as her greatest friend, Dilly as a pet. For both she had the strongest feeling that a mother could have, and yet the fact remained that they did not nearly fill her life. With Edith's intellect and temperament they could only fill a part— Bending down to a lower stature of intelligence all day long would make one's head ache. Standing on tiptoe and stretching up would do the same. One needs a contemporary and a comrade. Perhaps till Edith met Aylmer she had not quite realised what such real comradeship might mean, coupled with another feeling, not the intellectual sympathy she had for Vincy, but something quite different. When she recollected their last drive, her heart beat quickly, and the little memories of the few weeks of their friendship gave her unwanted moments of sentiment. Above all, it was a real, solid happiness, an uplifting pleasure, to believe he was utterly devoted to her. And so, in a moment of depression, a feeling of the sense of the futility of her life, she had, perhaps a little wantonly, written to ask him to come back. It is human to play with what one loves. She thought she had a soft, tender admiration for him, that he had a charm for her, that she admired him. But she had not the slightest idea that on her side there was anything that could disturb her in any way, and so that his sentiment, which she had found to be rather infectious, should never carry her away, she meant only to see him now and then, to meet again and be friends. As soon as she had written the letter and sent it, she felt again a cheerful excitement. She felt sure he would come in a day or two. Aylmer arrived, as I have said, eight hours after he received the letter. His first intention was to ring her up or to speak to Bruce on the telephone, but it so happened that it was engaged. This decided him to have a short rest and then go and surprise her with a visit. He thought he would have lunch at one. He knew she always lunched with the children at this hour and would call on her unexpectedly at two, before she would have time to go out. They might have a long talk. He would give her the books and things he had bought for her, and he would have the pleasure of surprising her, and seeing on her face that first look, 
that no one can disguise, the look of real welcome. Merely to be back in the same town made him nearly wild with joy. How jolly London looked at the beginning of July, so gay, so full of life. And then he read a letter, in a writing he didn't know. It was from Mavis Argles, the friend of Vincy, the young art student. Vincy had given her his address some time ago, asking him for some special privilege which he possessed, to see some of the Chinese pictures in the British Museum. He was to oblige her with a letter to the museum. She would call for it. Vincy was away, and evidently she had by accident chosen the day of Elmer's return, without knowing anything of his absence. She had never seen him in her life. Elmer was wandering about the half-dismantled house, désouvrée, with nothing to do, restlessly counting the minutes till two in the afternoon. He remembered the very little that Vincy had told him of Mavis, how proud she was, and how hard up. He saw her through the window. She looked pale and rather shabby. He told the servant to show her in. "'I've just this moment got your letter, Miss Argles, but of course I'm only too delighted.' "'Thank you. Mr. Vincy said you'd give me the letter.' The girl sat down stiffly on the edge of a chair. Vincy had said she was pretty. Elmer could not see it, but he felt brimming over with sympathy and kindness for her, for everyone, in fact. She wore a thin, light, grey cotton dress and a small grey hat. Her hair looked rich, red and fluffy as ever, her face white and rather thin. She looked about seventeen. When she smiled, she was pretty. She had a rosetti mouth. That must have been what Vincy admired. Aylmer had no idea that Vincy did more than admire her very mildly. "'Won't you let me take you there?' suggested Aylmer suddenly. He had nothing on earth to do and thought it would fill up the time. "'Yes, I'll drive you there and show you the pictures, and then won't you come and have lunch? I've got an appointment at two. She firmly declined lunch, but consented that he should drive her, and they went. Aylmer talked with the eagerness produced by his restless excitement, and she listened with interest, somewhat fascinated, as people always were, with his warmth and vitality. As they were driving along Oxford Street, Edith, walking with Archie, saw them clearly. She had been taking him on some mission of clothes. For the children only she went into shops. He was talking, with such animation that he did not see her, to a pale young girl with bright red hair. Edith knew the girl by sight, knew perfectly well that she was Vincy's friend. There was a photograph of her at his rooms. Aylmer did not see her. After a start, she kept it to herself. She walked a few steps, then got into a cab. She felt ill. So Aylmer had never got her letter. He had been in London without telling her. He had forgotten her. Perhaps he was deceiving her, and he was making love, obviously, to that sickening, irritating, red-haired fool. So Edith thought of her, Vincy's silly, affected art student. When Edith went home she had a bad quarter of an hour. She never even asked herself what right she had to mind so much. She only knew it hurt. A messenger boy at once, of course. "'Dear Mr. Ross, I saw you this morning. I wrote you a line in Paris, not knowing you had returned.' When you get the note forwarded, will you do me a little favour to tear it up, unopened? I am sure you will do this to please me. We are going away in a day or two, but I don't know where. Please don't trouble to come and see me. Good-bye. Edith Otley. Aylmer left Miss Argles at the British Museum. When he went back, he found this letter. End of chapter 18